0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to talk to you tonight about a mystery. A mystery. Ephesians chapter 3. A mystery. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was a chosen messenger of the Lord in an exceptional way. He was God's human instrument, God's mouthpiece, and God's pen used by the Lord to bring into existence most of the New Testament. Now, we were pretty sure Paul didn't write down, that he didn't write personally every word that, it's one of his letters, but all the words came from him. He commonly would, from what we can tell, what we can tell <laughs> from what they say is that he would dictate the letters to somebody else to write to write them down it's very common practice back in the day in those in those days one theologian of course you know the apostle paul how many books of the, of the new testament do we are we sure paul gave us or we're, we're sure of 13 13 we're not sure about hebrews hebrews is untitled and uh i usually say paul because that's the way I've always uh, understood it. There's different views about Hebrews. One view is that Barnabas in the 2nd century, not 2nd century, but 2nd Christi- century Christians said Barnabas wrote Hebrews. Uh, some people say a- Apollos wrote Hebrews. Uh, there is a theory that you, you hear more now, I, I think it's more common, that it was actually Luke, Luke, who wrote Hebrews, uh, but he was, wrote Hebrews using Pauline theology. Uh, One theologian does suggest that Paul's influence is the reason why we have the Gospels of Luke and the Book of Acts and Hebrews, that they all owe their existence to the influence of the Apostle Paul, which may may be true, but whatever it is, Paul is the one. Paul is a key person in the New Testament. It was Paul who sort of gave us a systematic or organized Christian theology in the great book of Romans, Paul's laying things out. Paul lays out the doctrines in, in his writings, and he lays out the implications, how you should live with this new knowledge. It's Paul that uh, the Lord chose to deliver, uh, the new covenant message, you could say, and all the accessories or the things that go along with it. It's pretty, pretty interesting things. And here in Ephesians, we looked at chapter 2 last Wednesday night. In chapter 2, Paul tells us in the first section what we are by nature, And then what we are in Christ, Now it may seem redundant to you. You've said that to us over and over. My friends, we have to keep in mind, we have to keep in mind that by nature we're children of wrath. that We deserve God's wrath, but by the grace of God we've been saved. Paul tells us what we are by nature, then what we are in Christ. In Christ we are clean, holy, and pure. And then in the end of chapter 2, Paul describes the reality of, that Gentile believers and Jewish believers live in. They don't live or exist as two separate people. Now they're one people brought together into one body, chapter 2, verse 16, that they are all fellow citizens, chapter 2, verse 19. They're all members of the same household, chapter 2, verse 19, that they are assembled together into a holy temple, chapter 2, verse 21, That that is a habitation of God through the Spirit, chapter 2, verse 22. The big idea to take away from chapter 2 is that God has taken Jews and Gentiles and brought them together into one being, into one person or identity, you might say, into one fellowship. Now, chapter 3 flows right up from chapter 2 into 3. So let's let's read verse 22 of chapter 2, then we'll jump down and starting in the verse chapter 3, "...in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And for this cause, for this knowledge, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now, revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of great, according to the gift of the grace of God. Given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. So the big idea of chapter 2 is this this unity, this oneness between Jews and Gentiles in Christ. And Paul goes into chapter 3 and says, this was a mystery. This is a mystery that has just been revealed. It's something that was ordained by God, planned by God, but it was hidden. By God. Kept back. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs. I think it's Proverbs 25, 2, where it says, uh, just turn, let's turn there and read it because I I thought I could call it to memory, but mine, my mind went blank. You ever have a, a moment like that? Your mind just runs out of stuff. Proverbs 25. I hope I remember the right reference. Proverbs twenty Proverbs, twenty five two, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. So there's God conceals things. He he kind of makes them hard to find sometimes. Just think about you know, uh, right now we we live in we live in an incredible age where we have the internet and you know we got these we got the uh, uh, what is that thing called the uh, the explorer robot that's on Mars right now and they're talking to it and driving it. All those things operate on principles that were unknown long ago, unknown long ago. And uh, you guys want to hear a funny joke? I'll I'll tell you a funny joke. There was a little boy, he went up to his dad and he said, Dad, will you tell me how the telegraph works? And he said, well, son, let me think about it. He said, well, kind of like this. Imagine having a dog with its tail in Louisiana and its mouth in Chicago. And the telegraph works like this, like you step on the dog's tail in New Orleans and you hear him bark in Chicago. And the kids like, "Okay, dad." He said, "Well, well, dad, how how the how does the wireless telegraph work?" And his dad said, "Well, let me think about it for a minute. Let me, let me study on it." And uh his dad said, "Okay. It's the same principle, only the dog is imaginary." <laughs> You see, we have all these principles of communication, these mathematical principles and truths and scientific truths that are true. They've always been true, but we're only discovering them now. They were concealed, but now with revelation and knowledge, people are uncovering them. I mean, I I just, I get so tripped out when I think about the kind of technology that we have in our pockets, which is superior to what they had when they went to the moon back in the, I guess, the 60s. It's incredible. The world's changed so much. Changed so much. Concealed knowledge. So the Lord, he He conceals things. It, but it's our honor, it's our glory to search for them out. And Paul says that this mystery, this mystery of the oneness of bodies bringing together of Jews and Gentiles is something that has just now been made known by the apostles, by the apostles and prophets in chapter 3, verse 5. Now, this is not new information totally. It wasn't direct revelation that the only they had. it appears to be the illumination of the spirit where they understood the Scriptures in a new way, in a new way. For instance, remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he was walking with the disciples, and they, and they didn't they were talking about their crucifixion, and they said, "What's going on here?" And in Luke chapter uh, 24 verse 27, Jesus takes the scriptures and expounds to these two guys. He tells them all the stuff in Moses and the law and the prophets, all the things about himself. And then they're, they're blown away by that. But once you have that key of knowledge that the Old Testament talks about Jesus everywhere, that all the types are about Jesus, that all these shadows are about Jesus, once you know to look for those things, it's easy to spot. Like one of those pictures that, you know, on, on a wall, it's all dots, you know, and you stare at it. Long enough, and you're like, all I see is a bunch of dots. And some other person walks up and says, I see a dog right in the middle of it. And once they say I see a dog, what do you see? Almost instantly, you see the dog, and you can't and you can't not see it. And this is what what happens: the Holy Spirit giving illumination to the minds of the apostles, that now they're understanding these things, seeing them in a different way. So the mystery is is given to us in chapter three, verse six. A mystery is a a truth that's been healed. been healed. (laughs) If a truth has been healed, then the truth must have been a lie, wouldn't that be the way it would work? The the truth, the truth has been hidden and now is revealed. Now the mystery is in verse six of chapter three, and the mystery is this that Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This is what brings Jews and Gentiles together into one body so that we no longer have this distinction anymore. All these ethnic distinctions, all these racial distinctions, if you will, all these social distinctions, they're all taken away in the gospel. They're brought together into one body in Christ. Now, the gospel, remember, is the good news. The gospel is not believe on Jesus and be saved. The gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And both Jews and Gentiles can only enter this new community, this new people through the gospel, through believing the gospel, through believing that Jesus lived and died and rose again for their sins. There is no other way to heaven, my friends. Get this into your mind. John fourteen six is true. I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man, no person comes to the Father but through Jesus. It will never be achieved any other way, only through Christ. We need to remember and take note of that. when we read the Bible, the New Testament, it talks about Gentiles. The Gentiles are basically the uh, the, gen- the I guess it'd be the just the, the nomenclature for a person who is not a Jew. So all non-ethnic persons are Gentiles. Non-ethnic Jews <laughs> are Gentiles, and that everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike, can be brought into this. Promise blessedness but only through the gospel now I'm going to give you a small outline for chapter 3 verses 1 to 12 okay in verses 1 to 6 we have Paul's mystery Paul says there's this mystery that's been made known unto me and I'm going to talk to you about it I'm going to mention it to you I'm going to reveal it this is something that God has given to me this is his task this is his privilege he says in verse two, if you 've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you word, if you guys have heard how I'm, t- I'm teaching things that people haven't heard before, this this is because this this dispensation has fallen to me, this opportunity is mine to make known these things, and it's not really a thing that's unknown if you take your Bible and turn back to acts uh, chapter twenty two To see that this bringing together the gentiles with the uh 2215 well, it can be 2215 <laughs> uh, nineteen fifteen. Well, that's what I get for writing the sermon with one Bible and then preaching with another. In the Book of Acts, it has a, it mentions uh, uh, Isaiah forty six. It's Isaiah 46, uh, I think it's 46:21. It talks about the the Gentiles that the Jews will be a light. to The Gentiles will all be brought into one people together. And Paul has mentioned that uh, in the book of Acts in one of his testimonies before one of the one of the leaders, uh, one of the Roman officials. But this is what he's doing. He's bringing these things together. He's taking this illuminated mind and he's bringing forth this message that this is the way it's going to be. In verse five which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of of men, as it is now, revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Spirit are illuminating the minds of the apostles, and they're saying, this is the truth, this is the the way. Remember, friends, there was conflict in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. Remember Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 11, and then you have good old brother Peter in Galatians chapter 2, Peter was a Jew when he was at Antioch with Paul and the Gentile Christians. Peter was eating their food and sitting at their table. But then when some people from Jerusalem came, some more orthodox, some more strict Jews, you might say, Jewish Christians. Peter, when he saw them at the church dinner, Peter would not sit with the Gentiles because he knew they didn't approve of that. And Paul says, I rebuke him to the face about it. There was this conflict about, about it the Jewish Christians wanted to make the Gentile Christians be more Jewish and follow the law, and that caused, there was conflict over it. And Paul said, all those things are passed away. These people are brought into one body now, one fellowship. There's one standard here. You're no longer Jews. You're no longer Gentiles. Now you are the body of Christ. Now you are the Lord's people. This is the mystery that Paul is unveiling. And then in verses 7 to 12, we have Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry, what Paul is doing, what Paul is doing. He tells us in verses 7 to 12 that his ministry is preaching this new message, preaching the gospel, preaching how these people are being brought together into one body. And he says in verse 7 that this ministry is conducted by the power of grace. Listen to verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. The grace of God is not an attitude. The grace of God is not a season or a time frame that God has extended. It is those things, but it's not only those things. It is also a power. When we say we're saved by the grace of God, we're saying that God saved us. With this bestowal of grace, causing us to believe and hear and understand the truth. We've saved, we're saved by grace. And Paul says, my ministry is conducted by the grace of God. God is working in me. He's giving me effectual power. He's helping me to do it. And my friends, in everything that you do for the Lord, you need God's grace. We just started the Sunday school back this past Sunday. And the first Sunday went pretty good. I figured the second Sunday will go worse <laughs> than the first Sunday. Because that's how it goes. When you start to do things, there's always opposition. There's always some things that happen, and you're going to need additional grace. Those little kids, you know, in the upper, in the little classes, the meet upstairs. Those little kids are going to get on your nerves a lot more next Sunday than they did last Sunday. They're going to have the wiggles and the jiggles, and the teenagers are going to have the yawns and the frowns, and you have to. You're, you're going to need the grace of God to bear it. And this past Sunday, everybody in the adult class was very alert. But this, this weekend, people will get less sleep. <laughs> the, lesson won't, the lesson won't be as interesting, and I'll need the grace. Or maybe I'll be bent out of shape on Sunday. I could have a bad, I could have a bad weekend, a bad night. Somebody could step on my toe. <laughs> my brother gets gout in his toe sometimes, and I, I don't see how he can even stand up to preach. When he does. But you know, if you're standing up here behind the pulpit, you don't think about what's happening. I don't know how many times I've bumped my big toe on the pulpit right here. Could you imagine having your toe filled with that old painful gout and bump the pulpit with it? I mean, it gets you in a bad frame of mind. I need the grace of God to be a teacher. You need the grace of God to hear. We need God's grace. We should be praying often. Lord, give me the grace that I need for today. Give me this effectual work. Give me the power. Give me the help, the strength. God's grace. Paul says, my ministry has been conducted by the effectual working of his power. Paul's a very smart man, but he doesn't say that I've been doing this in the power of my mind or my discipline. It's the grace of God. And then Paul says in the first part of verse eight, Paul knows what he is by nature. He says, God's been doing this with me unto me who am less than the least of all saints. My friends, think about the humility in that. What is Paul saying? Is he saying, I'm an exceptional Christian? Is he saying, I'm the kind of Christian that you want to have around? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'm the least. I'm I'm the, I'm less than the least. I'm the poorest Christian in town. I'm the poorest Christian in the church. This is Paul's attitude. What's striking about this, it makes it leap out to us so brightly, is we've already said that Paul is the instrument God used to give us how much of the New Testament? Thirteen books. And, influ- and had influence probably over at least sixteen. This mystery has been given to Paul, but Paul, as Paul looks at himself and he doesn't say, look at me, Paul. doesn't pop his suspenders and stick, out his, stick his nose up in the air. No, Paul puts his head down. He knows what he is by nature. He knows what he is. He knows it's only by the grace of God working in him. It's Paul that has that great reading in the book of Romans where he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. And then we have Paul's privilege. He views this as a privilege in the last part of verse 8 down through verse 12. He's a privileged messenger. God has given me this opportunity, he says, Unto me is this grace given, in verse 8, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's ministry, his job is not to go around browbeating and knocking them down. No, he says, I'm going around preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, it can never be figured out. It can never be fully understood. It's unsearchable how rich in grace and mercy God is to us through Christ. This is a privilege. To go around and declare this message well, which would you rather do deliver birth notices or death notices <laughs> we all know the answer to that one i heard old preacher say one time that uh he wished that in the army he was in the army and he had a job he said the job i wish i could have had was the the job of telling people that they were discharged He said, this is after World War II, he said, because that put a smile on every soldier's face. (laughs) You get to go home, you get to go home, you get to go home, you get to go home. Paul is going around telling people about the riches of God's grace, how that Christ died for them and saved them, cleaned them. And then in verses 9 to 10, Paul says that this ministry that he's been given, this privilege is to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. This is what he's doing. I'm going around showing people that the ultimate intention of God has always been to make heaven and earth one in Christ. That's from chapter 1, verse 10. Paul goes around saying God's whole intention, his ultimate intention has been to make Jew and Gentile into one body, to one identity in Christ. Chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. This is his ministry. He's going around telling this mystery, this secret. it has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, verse 9, to the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, that the church would know these things, that there wouldn't be any schism about these old prejudices, these old sticking points. They're brought together in one. Then verse number 11, Paul's privilege is to tell people how that all these things have been purposed by and worked out by God to fulfill his own plan. Listen to the reading. This has all been according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The last part of verse 10 probably could go along with that real well. Paul, let's just read verse 10, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ. Paul's going around telling people this this is not an accident. This is not divine plan B. This has all been worked by God's purpose, by God's plan in the wisdom, the wisdom of it. The wisdom of it. The Manifold wisdom here is like multi-layered. Multi-faceted. That as you really dig into God's purpose, you realize, man, God is really smart. God is really wise. Think about it like this, my friends. In salvation, God wants to save sinners, right? He wants to save sinners. If you give a sinner... Absolute libertarian free will to be self-determining. What do sinners choose by their nature? Do they choose Christ? They choose, they choose something else. They choose something else. But here's what God has done. Because He wants to save sinners, He's done everything to make their salvation possible. He chose them to it. Mark them down in his book. These people are destined for salvation. Sent Jesus Christ to die for their sins. Sent the Holy Spirit to call them. Established Christian congregations. God's done everything to be sure these sinners are saved. It's really a a beautiful thing. What love, what mercy, what grace. Finally, what we have, Paul tells us what we have with God through Christ in verse 12. He's going around telling people these things. This This is his message. In verse 12, he says, That in Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. What you have there are three things. Boldness. Through Christ, we have boldness to come to God as our father. Paul says this in Romans that the spirit bears bears witness with our spirit. God is our Father, and he uses the word Abba, which is a real familiar term. I don't know what, did you guys call your dad something besides dad or father when you're a kid? Daddy. And then uh, when I talk to my dad, when he calls me, I say, hello, Daddy-o. <laughs> or I'll call him El Jefe, you know, from an old, old John Wayne movie, or I'll call him Pops. Matt calls me Pops sometimes, or Pop. We have all these little familiar things. Now, nobody else is going to call my dad Daddy-o. Even my even his grandkids are afraid to call him familiar terms sometimes, but you know he's my dad I, c- I can talk to him in a way I don't talk to other people because he's my father. I can be friendly and familiar, and I'll say this i i I can be very relaxed with my dad because he's my dad. I don't have to worry about yes sir and him and no sir in him he's my dad we have a a familial bond. We have this boldness with God our Father. God is your Father. He's your Father. How dare you speak to God? I mean, think about who God is. He's high above all. He's holy above all things. The high and exalted one. The one who, in the Old Testament, people were afraid of all the time, and now He's your Father. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to cower in fear. He's your. We you have boldness through Christ. And then we have access. Access. During the corona, I call I call them the corona times. In the corona times, we had limited access to things, didn't we? Limited access. Valerie, Valerie came by the church today when she got out of class, and we went and had a bite of lunch. And she said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, where can we go in? Where can we go inside and sit down and eat? You know, we're still worried about access to things. And then when you, now now since they changed the rules here in Lawton, what's, what's one of the questions you ask yourself when you go to a business? Are they going to make me wear a mask or not? Do I have to wear a mask? Some businesses have taken down their mask signs and they don't care. And then other places, they still care. They still want you to wear a mask. And so you got to go with the rules, right? And so you're just, you're trying to get access to these places. You're thinking about it. Access. Now, the access we have to God is uh, any time access. Any time access, because you can even come to God when you're unholy and sinful. Unholy and sinful. Have you ever gone somewhere and you thought, well, and you're, you're running, you're running an errand, and you've been working in the yard and you're all nasty and dirty. And somebody says, why don't you come in for a second? know I don't want to come in. I'm all nasty and dirty. You don't, you don't want to go in. You feel defiled. You feel too unclean. You know how it is when you've been out working in the yard and you come inside and you sit down and you drink some tea or drink some water and get cooled off and you want to go to bed. But you don't want to go to bed dirty, do you? You want to get clean and then crawl in the sheets. Our access to God is... Through Christ means we can go to him anytime. If you're here tonight and you've been committing all kinds of sins today, you've been saying things you shouldn't say, thinking thoughts that are wrong, do, doing things intentionally that you know are sinful. And I'm saying to you tonight, God's your father. And you're like, oh, I can never go to him or be, I can never come to him boldly because I'm so sinful. I'm saying to you, yes, you can. You can come to him. You have access to him, even when you're unholy. Because you have Christ. You have Christ. It's so easy to be reconciled to God when you're his son, his child. God delivers from parents who don't forgive their kids for things they've done. So God does. Confess your sins to God, he forgives you for it. Takes you in. Our standing with God is through Christ. And then the last thing we have is confidence. We can have confidence because of what Jesus has done. And I think this is what it it means in the last part of verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The faith of him. I think this is the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus. I think that's what it means. Our standing with God is, Is all in Christ. It's all fixed in Christ. You ever have weak faith? You ever have big faith? Faith kind of goes up and down, doesn't it? Everything's going to be fine. And then sometimes you're like, is it going to be fine? (laughs) Is it going to work out? Faith goes up and down. And your faith in God will go up and down, but your standing with God never changes because the faith is rooted in Christ. Christ is the Savior. He's the one. This is what Paul goes around telling people. That's a wonderful thing to be telling people about, isn't it? The riches of Christ. How God has made people into one. And Paul says, this is a thing that God's given to me. It's a privilege. Let me ask you a question, Christian person. Do you view it as a privilege? Because that's what you get to do as well. When you talk to one of your friends or loved ones about, about the gospel... You're not telling them to come down and sign up to a way of life. You're not telling them to take up this code of conduct. You're telling them, come to Christ. Christ will save you and cleanse you and wash you. Christ is, this is the, Paul says, this is the ministry of reconciliation. This has been given to us by the Lord to reconcile people to God. Just by telling them, them. All you got to do is tell them. But you don't have to convince them. You don't have to argue them down the ground. You just tell them. And the Holy Spirit works. Helps you to know. Helps them to know and understand. The Holy Spirit works in them. You know the Holy Spirit. The way the Holy Spirit worked in you, He works in other people too. Just, just through simply telling people this wonderful news. This privilege about this mystery. That in Christ, in Christ, we're reconciled to God. According to His purpose. All right, let's pray together. And then uh, oh, we just say we trust the Lord as blessing to his word. Now let's Valerie